You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, a woodworking podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. That's right. Now, if you have a woodworking question, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Now, normally we uh, talk about what's going on in our shops, and uh, we're sort of going to do something similar, but it's going to be more product-oriented. Uh, Matt's got a few things for uh, you know going on in his shop that deal with products, and uh, I've got one or two things that I've been doing. So it'd be nice for us to talk about those things, give you the the links on where you can learn about them, and uh, you know, hopefully you'll uh, you'll want to go buy them, and someone will you know give us money and uh, we'll get some new sponsors or something. Now, but this is completely unsponsored. It's just. Um, you know, we've had an experience. It was good. It was bad. Here's the product. Check it out. That type of thing. Exactly the situation. Yeah. When you come across something, you want to shout from the, the mountaintops when it's great, or you want to warn everybody when to stay away from it when it's it's a major pitfall. So yeah, absolutely. exactly. Which there can be in, in woodworking or like any other hobby. There's a lot of crap out there, but there's also a lot of really good quality stuff. So uh, if we've got an experience that we might be able to help you guys out with, we're gonna uh, we're gonna sing it from the mountaintops. Absolutely. I'm very out of pitch. So (laughs) So tell me about your jointer, Matt. Oh, I am absolutely loving it. Uh, Hand planes for sale. uh, Make an offer. And uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I haven't gone that far, but I have been finding every excuse in the world to come down into my shop just so that I can turn it on and and play with it and you know try to make sure I, I can get I am amazed at the fact that you can get something square after like one pass yeah. when normally I'm like breaking a sweat and filling a bucket full of you know of uh, <laughs> curlings and everything else and it's just wow it, it's really great good good for you <laughs> I'm glad you've your eyes are opened I'm not put I would never put down hand tools but you know, there's a reason power tools were invented because they're supposed to save you time. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm actually looking forward to maybe the next project I'm going to start on working with square stock. I've no, I've always done the, you know, well, it's custom. It's supposed to be off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think this may uh, possibly change your, um, you know, Matt, Matt's woodworking forever. I mean, if, you, if you've never had that experience and you've never tried to, you know, completely all four sides square up your lumber, I mean, your joints are just going to be amazingly more efficient and tight, you know, compared to what you might have been used to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't have to crank down on the uh, pipe clamps anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, good. Good for you, man. Yeah. So it's, it's I'm very, very excited about it. It's, that's pretty much still the, the big news. It's a lot, a lot of things have been getting neglected as a result of that machine being in here. So pretty soon, I think the, the newness might wear off, but I wouldn't right. count on it very so what, soon. Are you just running like a bunch of practice boards over and over through it? To, like you got yeah, basically. A, a toothpick, a perfectly square toothpick when you're <laughs> That's done. exactly it. I'm like, you know, honey, I've got to feel, I've got all this uh, lumber that I bought, but I need to get it down to veneer. <laughs> that's great. So that's about it. Nice. So that, that's pretty much in mind. You got any, any great stuff going on, or? Well, um, I managed to get a hold of a new product that is. Um, it's it's actually I've seen it in a few of the magazines. I believe I saw it in Rockler, maybe mm. Woodcraft. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but um, search around for it. You'll find it. It's called Mag Switch. Um, mm. It is an incredibly cool magnet, and I haven't really looked into uh, 
you know, the details on, on the magic behind it. But man, this thing is just a killer, killer shop magnet. Um, they have a bunch of different versions of it. Um, basically, it's one of it's it's switchable, so you could sort of turn it off and turn it on uh, with a half turn of a dial. And the amount of strength that you get with this thing is just incredible. So um, I have a couple of the ones that you could you know put into jigs. You can make your own jigs. Um, and you know interchange these magnets from one jig to the next and they're strong enough to go through wood you know so if you've got a piece of material or let's say the jig itself you have this thing sitting into a uh, a little pocket it actually will have enough strength to go through the wood so think in terms of applications that um for jigs that you might want to secure to your uh to your table saw so if you're maybe doing uh like cove molding over the table saw, which is usually a frightening technique, but <laughs> typically involves raising the blade up little by little and running the uh, board between two other boards um, as guides and running mm-hmm. your uh, piece of material over the blade at an angle. Um, you know, you can make some really killer jigs with, with this type of thing and position it any way you want to. Um, the one thing, and as simple as it is, you know, something that, that makes a tool or, or, you know, a jig or something I use all the time, even if it's a very simple thing, um, if it makes it easier or does the job better, I get real excited about it. But it's a, uh, it's just a feather board. Their, their standard feather board is just awesome. I, I've up to this point have used those little yellow grip tight magnet systems and, um, okay. and they work great. They're awesome. And you have to push the little lever and it pops the magnet up, but the magnet is always on. And a mm-hmm. lot of times you have trouble pulling it off or positioning it or moving it because it's always pulling down. Um, this one, because you can switch it on and off, uh, you can move it, you know, exactly where you want it when, and only have it, you know, the magnet engage when you want it to engage. Um, the other thing about it is that they have an attachment where two arms go up from the featherboard that's laying horizontally, and then you could attach a second featherboard to that, and that featherboard puts downward pressure uh, onto the workpiece. Um, so the possibilities are endless. Um, let me give you the website. It is uh, magswitch, and that's M-A-G-S-W-I-T-C-H dot com dot A-U. Ooh, oh, um, so they're Australia. Australian, mate. Hi. That's right. I have a perfect Australian <laughs> accent, don't I? I? I heard it. I was like, dude, that, that's awesome. <laughs> that's Australian, that makes, mate. It makes me want to go eat shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a lot of Australian uh, listeners, and uh, I've seen just in the forums and things like that. We've got a lot of Aussies on our side. Yes, we do. Yeah, it's even I know at my my show. That's why people are always like, you know. So what do you got? Like your next door neighbor listening? I'm like, yeah, if my next door neighbor lives like in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Yeah. So it's like uh, maybe we can somehow wrangle a tour with Qantas or something. They're going to take us down there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, anyway, so that's MagSwitch uh, Technology Incorporated, and uh, go check out some of their stuff. I definitely give this this very simple, deceivingly simple product um, a, a real good thumbs up. Absolutely. Sweet, yeah, because you know that's one thing is I've thought about that before, like using like those rare earth magnets, uh-huh. which basically that sounds like somehow this is maybe something like that. Or yeah, I don't know. I really want to learn more about how it's done because they they make claims about replacing um, jobs that typically electromagnets were used in the past because they are okay. something that you can turn on and off uh, dependably. Um, and these are supposed to be much more lightweight, less expensive ways of doing those same things. I mean, their their little uh, pamphlet they have. Mm-hmm. has a picture of a rigid uh, contractor table saw being hung from a metal rafter oh, by, by a chain and, and this magnet. So 
Holy <laughs> cats. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it, it reminds me of the, the old super glue commercials with the little dude and the, you know, the hard oh, yeah, hat. With the, the little hat. And hanging <laughs> yeah. the, either that or this could actually be a great way to get more space in your shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> you know, uh, haul up your table saw. Yeah, and hang it from the ceiling. There Give you go. Give you some more floor space. That's perfect. That's actually a good Excellent. idea. <laughs> yeah, look into that one. If, if MagSwitch is listening. Uh... <laughs> yeah, definitely good product. Real good product. Sweet. Excellent. Um, so let's, uh, I guess we could jump right into some uh, of the wonderful emails that we've gotten. And we definitely like to thank everybody. We got a lot of them. So we're not going to get them, uh, get, all t- get, get to them all this week, but we certainly will get around to all of them at some point. Oh wait, yo! Before we go off, I have to have one. I have to have a tangent. You know, you're talking about the space saving thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I just heard this. I heard this great study that was just out, and uh, I don't know how. Well, just out. I for me, the other, I listened to it on a podcast. Um, another one, and they basically were talking about how 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 tall are the ceilings in your in in your shop shop? Uh, fourteen. Fourteen. And uh, would you say that you're very creative, uh, very um, efficient, that kind of a thing? I would generally say I'm somewhere between um, brilliant and genius for wow, the most and you're part. Very, you're very humble, too. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I heard this. there was a study talking about there's like a, a relationship between like um, people who tend to like very more or less be kind of like really open-minded and not necessarily open-minded, but very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They just, they, they really think open. They can come up with new ideas and everything else. Right. And a lot of it has to do with the height of your ceilings. Really? And it seems like the, yeah, like uh, ceilings that are like maybe eight foot or less, which would be off a lot like the ceilings in my shop uh you tend to become very like you know single task oriented you're like you know you're very obsessed with like one thing at all times and you know, the the workflow doesn't really go that well that kind of a thing yeah actually now that i admit that it makes me sound really bad so okay <laughs> <laughs> but i just i thought it was really unique i, I heard that that I had, is like, interesting that it's, yeah it's like that the taller your ceilings are the, it seems like the more open you are kind of a thing so for getting work done for coming up with new ideas and moving forward kind of like that so anyways though i'm in an eight foot ceiling right now and so so obviously I'm single task because I was like, I had to come up with this idea. What is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, – well, I don't know. I mean I personally – we've got high ceilings in the house and you know, fortunately in the shop they're really high. And it kind of uh, – I guess I could see some logic to that. I mean it, when you're in a really low ceiling, you know, uh, maybe seven, eight-foot ceilings – it can be a little bit, you know, oppressive. Sort of, uh, you know, the the light doesn't necessarily seem like it's as good. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can definitely see how being closed in might not give you as much inspiration as having an open air environment. Yeah, maybe you're like, you know, rebreathing all the same air. <laughs> right. Or maybe it's like, you know, the goldfish in a bowl theory, where you know they'll they'll keep growing if they have a space big enough to grow. Maybe your head just keeps growing because you've you got go. more headroom. Sweet. Yep. That's my that's my theory. Well, my shop is directly below my kitchen, so I think it's time to tell the wife and the kids we're eating in the living room. I'm going <laughs> to knock out the ceiling and move up. There you go. <laughs> so All anyway, right. that's my tangent. We should move on to email. Cool. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's run right into it. Um, we've got one here from Larry. Larry says, Hello, Larry. hey, Larry, Larry. He says, hey, guys, I recently saw this device and wondered if either of you have looked at it. What he's talking about is uh, check out the website. It's worksharptools.com. And what this little dealy whacker is, um, is a sharpening device. It's just a a motorized sharpening tool. He says, it looks like it would be an easy way to sharpen chisels. I'm not so sure about my lathe tools. Uh, Have either of you looked into this tool? I'd be interested in your opinions. Thanks. Now, I 
really haven't looked into it. When I saw it, it wasn't all that unfamiliar to me. I've seen tools like this before, mm-hmm. um, and I think you and I talked about it before the show. Um, the, the Lee Valley has had one, and I think Delta even has one. Um, it's just one of those horizontal, you know, rotating plates. Uh, and in this case, it's a dry system, so it's all uh, sticky sandpaper based, and the plates are made out of glass. Um, what looks a little bit different about this one is that they've got a a channel that your chisel or your plane blade comes up and it actually contacts the bevel is actually uh, honed from underneath. Okay. So, so you slide the tool up this channel and it holds it at a particular angle and then it hits the bottom. So uh, it's two sided. So you could always do, excuse me, you could always do the, uh, the flat end on the top and then you do your bevel uh, from below. Okay. Um, I, I watched the whole video and I will say, I mean, it does look exactly like these other things. I'm sure there are some nuances that makes it uh, different, but it looks pretty typical. Um, I think it was about 200 bucks, uh, which is a pretty decent price. But what it seems to me is like a glorified, scary sharp system. And if anyone's mm-hmm. not familiar with that, that's just the uh, trademark term for the, the sandpaper sharpening system uh, using increasingly higher and higher grits of sandpaper on a, on a dead flat surface to sharpen your tools. So I, I can't say anything bad about it. It seems pretty cool. It's got a air cooling system where the motor's uh, generating air and that uh, cools the blade that, and the blade is sitting on a heat sink. So it's like this whole system so they don't have to use a wet system and it's not messy. Um, so I see nothing wrong with it. I don't know that there's anything to necessarily rave about. Uh, one thing that would bother me is, is you can't, I, I like to see the bevel being honed. I like to see the action of the sharpening. And by inserting the tool from underneath, you can't see anything. You just kind of shove it in there and hope that it's doing what you want it to do. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just saying that I kind of prefer to see the cutting edge as it's right. being sharpened personally. Um, right. But it, it looked it looked pretty cool. So go there's a video right there on the site. Go check it out. Um, I did think it, one part of the video was kind of hilarious when they were saying about how difficult and it, like they're sort of insinuating that all the other systems on the market and they showed a Tormek uh, and they showed a, a it looked like a little Delta unit and a couple of those similar ones. <laughs> they, they were commenting on how complicated those are. So they show a table of those other three systems and then they show a picture of theirs, which looks exactly the same as the other three systems. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, they kind of missed the mark on that. But um, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, it seems like it might be a reasonable priced, uh, reasonably priced machine. Man, I can't imagine like you know knocking down the competition. Who would do something like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess uh, sometimes you resort to that. But I, I can't, I can't say anything negative before I give a really solid, you know, thumbs up buy or or not buy. I would have to look at all the other ones and just see. Yeah, it's cheaper than a Tormek, but it's not quite. I don't think it's quite as versatile. Um, you know, I'd have to do a comparison right. of all of them. But if you like it, it looks good. I don't know that it's going to sharpen your turning tools that well, but um, it seems like it'll do just fine on uh plain blades and uh and chisels yeah that sounds about right yeah i i, I agree i kind of took a look at it too just a quick gander and yeah like you said it it, it looks very much like the other ones yeah so. it does it's I, don't, I mean it's nothing exciting but it, mm-hmm. i'm sure if you're into the scary sharp uh sandpaper system that's just right. fine yeah or you know even if you you just simply i don't know about you but i have used sandpaper in the, in the past for using well, for sharpening my blades in fact actually the first time i ever just tried to sharpen my own blades, took that big giant step, you know, one one giant leap for sharpening kind, basically. <laughs> and uh, that's what I, I ended up using sandpaper. In fact, actually, there was an auto body store in the neighborhood that there I was in there 
periodically buying you know fresh sheets of uh, the higher grids. In fact, I think they even went to like twenty five hundred grid or something uh-huh. for my absolute you know final. And that's what the guys like. Oh, well, what body shop do you work for? I'm like, um, actually, it's a basement workshop. I use these for my chisels and plane blades. And the guy's like, no, seriously. I'm like, no, seriously, buddy. <laughs> Matt's basement body shop. <laughs> exactly. You know, bring it on in. I can't do paint jobs, but I can sharpen <laughs> your blades. <laughs> nice, nice. So, but yeah, definitely. Uh, ready to move on to another question? Yeah, let's move it. Okay, let's see here. This one uh, is, uh, oh, we're looking for, he has two questions here, and the first one's looking for some advice on ear protection, and he notices, Mark, that uh, the earmuffs that you're wearing, he's wondering if those are canceling or noise canceling as well as headphones for music, AM, FM, radio. Uh, they, um, they are giant uh, corded headphones from uh, 1979. <laughs> those big giant oversized ones i remember um, those things. you see the guy walking around with the big eight track and uh, on roller skates <laughs> yep that, that well i have roller skates on too you just can't see that on the webcam um uh. actually i use the uh work tunes that's what they're called um okay. and they just recently came out with a new one that are called i believe it's i i should have written all this down but anyway look up work tunes and yeah exactly and there's there's a there's a pair that is uh white and the other ones are yellow um you can actually hook up an mp3 player or some external music device or something and it channels the music into the headphones but they are also af am fm um stereo headphones and they are noise canceling now i don't think they're noise canceling in the sense of like bose stereo headphones where they actually produce a signal um that cancels out noise uh i just think that they're that solid of a of a, a you know noise blocking that you don't hear anything okay. um, honestly you'll you know look, look into it there's a lot of debate as to whether that's a good thing to do in the workshop or not but it's a personal decision for me it works great mm-hmm. i love it i like it a lot and uh <laughs> a lot, a lot. and it's uh <laughs> like i said a personal decision but that's what i use Okay. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, even though they, they kind of threw the question a little bit towards you with asking about those ones, I don't know if I, if uh, if you've heard this with my show. Actually, I've got a free pair of uh, a, a new hearing uh, protections called Zem. Actually, I think it's been out on the market for a little while now. But anyways, it's called Zem. It's by SenseGuard. Uh, and you, if you go to ZemZone, Z-E-M, zone.com, you can check it out. And they're, they look a little weird in my opinion. No offense, Zem, but um, – they're, they're, they're really small, and the, this hearing protection, actually what it does is rather than the, the noise canceling, what this actually does is the way that they have the, the technology, um, it lowers the sound around you, so it brings everything like at a flat level, I guess you could kind of say. It lowers the decibels of the machines and whatever's making the noise so that it comes down to the level of a, a conversation. Hmm. And it's really neat because I always talk about this uh, on my show, um, the – it was funny because the first time I really tried this, I was really kind of skeptical, and I'm like, whatever, this is just their earmuffs. That's, you know, that, that's simply it. kind of in the canal, and they just kind of sit there. But uh, I was using my jigsaw, which is one of my smallest tools, but it's really, really loud. And my kids were standing at the garage door while I was using this, and they're yelling at me, and I've got this thing running, and it, it sounded like they were standing next to me kind of a thing. It's like I could really huh. hear them yelling, and I could – you know, the, the jigsaw was just in the background. It's, in fact, it sounded like it was two doors down rather than being right with me. And so that's that's another idea. It's simply one of those. Rather than canceling it out, it just simply lowers it to a you know a, a conversation level. And that's I, that's a real neat safety feature because imagine somebody accidentally you know comes in and you know kind of comes up behind you while you're working with something. You know, sure. God forbid, you know, you you, you jump forward or something like that. You know, it, it's a, a neat idea that 
you know, it does that rather than blocking it all out. It just wow. lowers it. So that it's something kind of cool. neat to check out. Yeah, yeah and definitely. they're really lightweight, and they're they're lightweight, and they come in beautiful colors, including camouflage for hunters. Oh, nice! <laughs> so you can put those on, and nobody will even see you when you're woodworking. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> you blend in the background. <laughs> Very cool. So, okay, well, uh, let's see. We have a second uh, question from uh, our our listener here. Uh, Ty actually is the. The, the second question, let's see, this second one's kind of a long one here, so I'm going to kind of pick the meat and bones. But basically, I'm following the instructions in the book, Building Kitchen Cabinets from the Build Like a Pro series in order for my wife to allow me to make kitchen cabinets. I have to prove myself. Oh, I know how that goes. In the book, he describes the process of making face frames whereby he runs each board on edge through a planer to keep the sides parallel. When I built my fish tank stand in the style of the kitchen that we want, uh, just as a trial, my rails and styles were a little out of square. So I just pushed them into place with some pipe clamps and pocket screwed them so I could use the clamps elsewhere. Here's what I think I went wrong. Okay, so here's the meat of the question. I ripped the board when they were long and didn't cut them to rough size, causing a slight wave in the rip. Then maybe my chop saw isn't quite square, the combination of a 90.1 degree on the end, uh, but oh, 90 degrees uh, butted up and to a wave in the side of the board cause the frame rails and styles to point in all directions. Will a planer help? And if so, uh, it's worth is it worth getting the Dewalt squatty looking one? <laughs> uh, will will a cheaper one do the trick? I don't do a lot of planing, but uh, may in the future my wife is uh, allowed to use that tool. My idea here is to limp along until I can show that hey, we have a need for a non benchtop model. So. Um, what do you think about that one? It sounds like basically he's kind of asking like – He just wants uh, to know if he should get a planer, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds I like mean, yeah, he's got that slight wave from the, the ripping effect or something in there. Yeah. So he's wondering if that's going to correct it. Well, tune up the miter saw. So you know, obviously you want to make sure those cuts are square because he said that, that might be a potential issue. But as far as the uh, keeping your, your long styles uh, nice and straight, yeah, that's the first thing you want to do is joint the one side, rip it oversized you know, precautionary just to make sure if it decides to bow, you want to be able to joint it again and then rip it the last time to final size if you really, really want to be picky. Um, the bottom line is when you're talking about, you know, style stock, it's almost always going to move on you and it's almost always not going to be straight. But typically the styles of a cabinet in a face frame are not necessarily going to be strong enough over the course of, say, six, seven, eight feet, aren't going to be strong enough to you know, make the cabinet contort out of shape. So usually mm -hmm. you can do what he said. You could push it into place with a clamp and or a pocket screw, you know, whatever you're using dowels um, and get it into position. So, you, if, if, you know, if he's talking about little waves, that's a whole different story. But if he's talking about just a long bow, that's usually right. not, not too big of a deal. But to answer his question, the planer is not going to get a long bow out of a style. It's, you right. know, it's generally going to it'll, it'll make sure it's a consistent width from one end to the other, but it's certainly not going to, uh, take out a long bow. Uh, it's just not the way the the planer is built. It doesn't operate like that. Right. Yeah. Cause usually isn't it the, the, the rollers are so strong that they, they'll just push it flat to the table anyways, and it can spring right back up once it gets to the other end. Yeah. Especially for face frame stock. It's that we're talking pretty small stuff, you know, three quarters of an inch and maybe an inch and a half. Uh, right. wide it's not going to be too hard for uh a, you know for just about any planer to uh push that flat so um right. that that's not to say that I don't think a planer is a necessary tool for you to have anyway mm -hmm. um to get those uh pieces you know down to size and get them nice and parallel uh but I don't think it's going to get rid of the problem you you experienced in this last project 
Right. So you need to justify it to your wife in a completely different way is what I, yeah. I think you're going to have yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with the squat DeWalt model that he mentioned. Um, interesting right. oh, interesting yeah. uh, term he came up with there. Um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think I, I, my first uh, planer was the lunchbox DeWalt, and then they came out with that really cool, beefy-looking version of it. Um, oh, yeah. And there's a couple of those benchtop models that are perfectly fine. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, nothing wrong with those guys. Yeah, because I think right now I have a I have a, a rigid one, and that one seems to work pretty good. So uh -huh. yeah, those the bench top, depending on what you're doing, works perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. All right, uh, let's let's move along. Okay. Uh, Chris writes this question is probably more for Mark, but will probably be helpful for Matt in the future. Oh, good. Uh, good for you. Yeah, you're not there yet, Matt. One day. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, please, do have, please. <laughs> do you have any secrets for changing and adjusting jointer knives? I just tried this for the first time. Uh, with less than favorable results, I'm getting a wavy surface and a little snipe at the end. Both your shows and this one are at okay. Anyway, keep up the good work. Now mm -hmm. there, this I don't think we're going to spend as much time on this as we as we could or should to properly explain how to tune a jointer. I will be covering this in my podcast at, at some point soon. I've I've done the bandsaw and I would really like to do the jointer. Um, it is okay, quite as soon as we're process. done here, go do it right now. Oh, as soon geez. as we're done, just go you know, do it right now. There's no, no pressure. <laughs> when I got my jointer, uh, I, when I just got the uh, the 8-inch, I spent, you know, and, and this is someone who is, I guess, quote-unquote, supposedly knows what they're doing. Um, <laughs> it took me about six hours to get mine in the shape that I wanted it. Now, I kept, you know, it's also, an, it was a new tool to me, so the adjustment mechanism was a little wacky, and I, you know, had to get used to it. It's just, uh, it, it does take some time, but... One thing that will probably save him a lot of hassle and a lot of headache is a jig that's called uh, Jointer Pal, I believe is is what they okay. call it. It's yeah, a mag yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, it's a little mag, two magnetic bars connected by two other non-magnetic bars, so you can kind of slide the pieces back and forth. They sit on the outfeed table. Um, the magnets are strong enough that you can't really pull them up too easily, um, and you just loosen your jointer knives enough so that the magnet goes pops them right up and holds the blades in a perfect position that's perfectly even with the outfeed table and you just go from one excuse me one blade to the next and tighten everything up maybe you know maybe it'll take two rounds of that just to be safe um but that's the method I use and that's close enough for my work um I generally don't get the dial indicator out to take measurements of my blades like that so once once the magnet pulls it up locks it in place it's good to go so uh definitely a really really good investment and will save you a lot of time and headache on getting the height of that outfeed table set where you want it cool that sounds good not to write that one down and as far as getting the tables aligned and getting them coplanar um you know you'll have to wait for the podcast for that i basically use a, a long uh, a long four foot you know, straight edge, aluminum straight edge, clamp down to the outfeed table, and I sort of swing it back and forth uh, using, you know, and this is one one case where I actually do pull out feeler gauges uh, to find out how, you know, close it is. Uh -huh. Generally, I don't think feeler gauges have much room in, in the wood shop. You know, I think it goes a little beyond uh, our needs, but um, if, you're, are, if you are that particular and you have that sort of engineer's mindset, you know, I guess you can't really have your machines set up too well, you know, so, <laughs> but yeah. for me, that's the only time that I'll pull those out and that's, that's what I use to do it. So, like I said, I, I wish I could give him more, you know, sometimes demonstration and actually showing is really the best way to do it because he could read a hundred articles on how to do it and still never get the hang of it until he sees it done. Right. Um, so keep, uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll, we'll get that to you 
very soon. Yeah, because I think I read that in the actual owner's manual. I, I did that for once. I broke it out and was looking at that, and I was like, oh, there's got to be another way to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too much reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, and it could be it could be frustrating as hell. So, um, you know, sit tight and, uh, you know, get those joiner pals. That'll get you, you – know, that could actually solve the problem that he's having. If he's getting, you know, a significant amount of snipe, it's probably because the outfeed table uh, is a little bit lower than the height of the blades. Um, gotcha. so, so this is something that will, will sort of help them with that. Okay. You know, and hey, on a tangent there, you know, when you mentioned that you don't break out the feeler gauges, uh-huh. see, once again, high ceilings, not so task-oriented. You're well, there not you single-minded. I'm so. a free thinker. I'm a woodworking hippie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's not confuse that. I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I said. I, I think oh. uh, you know, feeler gauges are perfectly fine. But for right. me, I very rarely feel that I need to go to that level of accuracy. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) But that's just me and my crappy work. Um, So uh, we got another question here. I'll move on to Travis's question. Okay. He says, I recently purchased the jet table saw online and cleaned and finished the top by cleaning off the goo, working on a, working in some WD-40 and then waxing. My friend just got a new Delta at Rockler and they told him not to use wax, but instead finish the top with top coat only. They said that the wax will mess the joints and uh, finishes down the road. Now, I've never read about any problems with wax on WoodNet. Um, if anyone doesn't know WoodNet, that's a, a pretty big forum, if not one of the biggest, at uh, mm-hmm. woodnet.net, uh, where it seems that most people finish their saw tops with wax. So I was just wondering if this was the Rockler folks uh, just trying to sell a bit more expensive product or if they have a reason to believe what they're saying. Uh, cheers, Travis. Um, well, I think there's probably more controversy about using WD-40 than there is about wax. He mentioned, you know, using the WD-40, which is something that I do. And I, and I do it with the knowledge that yeah, I understand what WD-40 is, that it's a, a solvent and it's not actually, you know, what people think it is. Um, you wouldn't want to use that to, to avoid wax on the top. Cause it probably ends up in this, in the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue he wants to know about is the wax. So I would say that top coat, I don't, really know exactly what's in it but it's very waxy like ish (laughs) sort of there you know it's got some kind of a waxy type material in it based on the properties of of using it so i can't say that top coat isn't wax but i'm not sure what it is the issue and the the warning that the rockler guys are probably giving him probably has more to do with the you know a component within the wax and like vehicle car waxes turtle wax things like that usually contain um silicone and the silicone is something that can really cause problems for finishing if it's in excess. So if you, you know, lacquer on top of a surface like that is, is not going to be happy. Um, the, the, the real question is the type of wax. So don't use automotive wax. Use something like uh, Johnson's Paste Wax or any type of furniture finishing wax. Um, you know, Renaissance Wax is something that I actually use a lot on all my cast iron surfaces. Um mm-hmm. There are, you know, there's no silicone in that, and, uh, you know, you pretty much circumvent the risk. And that being said, I have used turtle wax on my uh, table saw in the past before I, oh, before Mark. I, <laughs> you know, you know, it happens um, when I was a baby. Uh, but it, it, you know, nothing, nothing bad happened. And, and I'm not saying to go ahead and use turtle wax. What most likely happened was anything I touched on the saw, I probably went after that to the planer and removed more wood and then went to, uh, you know, something else and sanded it, you know, a significant amount of sanding. And if there was any silicone or anything on there, it probably got rid of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So anyway, just to be safe, the issue I think those guys are concerned about is using something that may have silicone in it and top coat does not, so it's safe for your finishes. So I don't think it's necessary to spend the money, get you know a basic can of paste wax, it'll last a hell of a lot longer um, and works just as well and you don't have to feel stingy when you use it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, you pay a lot of money for a can of uh, anything aerosol, you know it's not going to last very long. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah, so, so I, I mean, they're not wrong, but, you know, I, I, the guys on WoodNet definitely know what they're talking about, so um, I would follow the uh, a lot of the instruction that you see there. Turtle wax, man. Okay, Tur- turtle wax. <laughs> it's the stuff of champions. Well, you, would you go on the prices right and want a year supply of turtle wax? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I use it actually. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, it was before I knew anything. It was metal. My car is metal. Why not use turtle wax? Yeah, well, I, I'm not really going to go into anything else about what I've used in the past. We'll just leave it at what you've used, and we'll leave it there. Elbow grease, elbow <laughs> grease. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, was, I had a very greasy face, so I was wiping it. Anyways, yeah, I, I am a greasy Italian. I could just wipe my face all over it. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. anyway. Well, after I eat Italian, uh, anyways, though. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next one here. All right. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, I was uh, quite amused with the, the knitting comments. Ooh, this guy, I was quite amused with the knitting comments. <laughs> on the last episode, how popular it is. My wife is addicted to knitting and all the related podcasts. Uh, must be a dozen or more of them out there. And uh, I, before I finish the rest of this one, I, I actually listened to one of the knitters today. Oh, oh you traitor! <laughs> oh, no, I was getting you know some uh, some background information to see. Oh, what you were it is you were infiltrating, a, crossing yeah. enemy lines. Oh, yeah, the, the one I was the one out in particular. I'm not going to say which one it was, but he actually he was an Australian guy. And he he sounded pretty beefy, so I think we're going to hold off the fighting until I have a chance to work out some more. <laughs> oh no! Okay, good idea. Yeah. Well, good thing you checked it out ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, we need to do a little reconnaissance, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm just starting to look to upgrade to a cabinet uh, style table saw. I currently have a collapsible contractor saw, and it isn't quite cutting it. Ha ha ha! Pardon the pun. <laughs> now, uh, I've seen a new t- uh, saw called the Saw Stop. It's about five hundred to a thousand dollars more than the typical saw. But the safety feature is quite impressive. The saw will actually stop before it cuts off any fingers or other body parts. Could be bad things, actually. It's, mm-hmm. that's not... uh, their website has a short demo where they run a hot dog into the blade, and it comes out with only a scratch. Like I said, very impressive, and it looks uh, to be a very high-quality machine. Have either of you seen this in person? If so, do you think it's worth the added expense? I personally think each of my fingers is worth more than $1,000 each, but if it isn't an accurate machine, I'll look elsewhere. Um, I have seen, I haven't seen the, in the actual operation. I saw it in one of the stores. I've read a couple of articles about it. Um, I actually, I think we looked at the short demo and what I think we talked about this before the, we went on the air. It's a couple hundred more than, wasn't that what kind of, we came to the conclusion of a, of a standard uh, cabinet style saw. Yeah. It looks like, uh, I guess it depends on the brand. It looks like it's about 200 bucks more than a Powermatic and probably about maybe 500 to 600 more than a Delta Unisaw. Right. Um, and when I say Powermatic, I'm talking about the PM66. The PM2000 is about the same price as the Delta Unisol. So, and again, right. we're talking about a $600 difference. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I, I do think that there's something with the saw stop, this idea of this added safety feature, you know, that's fantastic. I, I kind of, I, I don't want to be like, you know, I don't know, like devil's advocate or something, but I'm, I, I'm a little worried that maybe this might kind of, lull you in with a, a false sense of security that it's like one of those 
it, somewhere in your subconscious, you might be thinking, well, it's, it's okay, you know, if I'm not as careful uh, when, I, when I'm running this and everything. I'm pretty sure the majority of us that are using it, by all means, no, by no means whatsoever do I mean that, you know, suddenly we're going to become, you know, really, really stupid around our machines and become less safety conscious. Right. Uh, there's just that, that part of me that's kind of wondering about that. I, I, actually, the kind of a uh, coincidental story or ironic. I can never keep those straight. Coincidental, ironic, but uh, the saw that I actually use when I was little, my my was my grandfather's saw, and I actually watched him pretty much almost completely cut his thumb off. It's kind of a funny story. I mean, it doesn't sound funny, but it really it's was. It's getting funnier I, by the minute. I can tell you. Yeah, that. it is exactly. You know, and it was just like <laughs> one of those. Uh, he he the, his thought his thumb went through the blade, and he just kind of turned and shut the machine off and said, "Don't tell your grandma." <laughs> oh boy. Oh, okay. What am I going to do about all that blood on the wall? You know, and so you know, go go call the doctor. And I, it's this is one of those uh, panic moments where I'm trying to flip through the. I can't tell if it was panic moment or the fact that I was eight and trying to flip through the uh, telephone book and looking for the doctor, but we're looking under doctor rather than the doctor's last name. Oh man, <laughs> looking for doctors. So, it's under D, right? Yeah, exactly. My grandma's. What are you doing? Looking for doctor so and so. What for? Um, just just look it up. I want to see if he's home. Oh wow. So, but that's one thing that I'm always, I'm extremely, you know, conscious of it when I'm around any type of moving blade. In fact, I don't know if anybody's ever listened to one of my earliest episodes uh, where I talked about safety, but I have this little mantra that my kids and my wife kind of tease me about, but it's uh, like uh, um, fingers and thumbs, don't be dumb. Fingers and thumbs, don't be dumb. As I'm running them through and my kids will like laugh if they see me saying it. They're like, dad's saying that stupid phrase again. (laughs) Oh, nice. So then I guess the question is, would you pay, um, let's say... Well, let's ask both questions. Would you pay $600 more for that feature? And let's let's just assume all things equal other than that uh, comparable saw. Is that worth $600 more for you? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I feel that... I think this the safety still falls on the responsibility of the individual. It is it is a nice feature to have, but at the same time, it's it's not nice enough for me to justify myself shelling out that extra money. Right, right. How about 200 um, I might consider it if, if, you know, they throw in a free, a couple of like, you know, maybe upgrade to the fence or something. Right. Uh, I still don't know. If I, <laughs> right. A free can you know, of turtle wax, maybe. Maybe that would be it. That would be the clincher <laughs> right there. Um, well, you know, I've given this a lot of thought cause I get a lot of questions about saw stop and I, I read a lot of the, the forum entries on it. Uh, there's, it seems like there's not a whole lot of debate. It's, it's a pretty, you know, good quality saw. So nothing, you know, no question there. Um, and the safety feature is it does what it's supposed to do. It works as advertised, um, you know, and, and I guess that's really the, the question for the individuals is it, is it worth that extra amount? And then also the, you, you raise a very valid point is whether or not this is something that, you know, pulls people into a sense of complacency around the tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know that anyone can get completely complacent around any spinning blade. You, I mean, you can get stupid and make a stupid mistake, but you would right. do that with or without uh, you know, saw stop being there. Um, you know, part of me says, okay, if I'm going to do anything on my saw blade, what, what's more likely to happen? Am I more likely to just touch my thumb, nick it and go, ah, crap and pull my hand back? Or am I more likely to just slam my hand down on it and lose an entire finger? Right. Um, of course, this is all speculation, but I'm guessing that most likely if anything's going to happen, I'm going to touch it and I'm going to react and hopefully my reaction will be to pull my fingers away from the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if if that happens, okay, so I may need a couple stitches. I don't think I'll necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm assuming I'm not losing a finger here. Um, you know, I need some stitches and uh, I'll be a lot more careful next time and probably a little bit scared, but a lot more careful around the saw. Uh, if you have a saw stop, you're out a significant amount of money now. Um, right. it's, it's Think of it like an airbag in your car. You're, you're, you're certainly glad you've got it. But if, you know, what if your airbag went off from a, a little bump in, uh, the, you know, the grocery store parking lot and now you've got to pay a thousand dollars to get a new airbag? Um, it's not a thousand bucks, but if you got a hundred dollar blade and let's say that cartridge cost, I don't know how much it costs, but let's say it costs a hundred bucks, probably mm-hmm. pretty close. Yeah, that's that two, about right. That's a two hundred dollar expense if you just nicked your finger, which would not have caused severe damage to begin with because you pulled away. So, Again, I'm speculating, but for me personally, I I think the saw looks great. I think it's cool. If it's a matter of 200 bucks, I probably would spend the 200 bucks. Um, but my problem is SawStop is a relatively new company, and I have a little thing where I need to go. I have a I have a need to go with companies that have been around for a while because mm-hmm. I think they're more likely to continue to be around for a while. So, you know, it would be ha- it would be a very hard choice for me to choose a saw stop over uh, a Delta or, you know, say a Powermatic or something like that. Um, so anyway, that's me. I could sit here and talk about that for hours and, <laughs> yeah. and say absolutely nothing, but um, right. that's just my opinion. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. That That's, yeah, for the, for the cost of it and everything, and then the fact that you have to put in that. Now, I think you're right. The, the cartridge, I think, is about like another 100, 200, something like that. Right. Yeah, basically, it's it's if you're a little bit more safety conscious, which we all should be, no yeah. matter what the tool is, even with hand tools, you have to have some degree of safety, you know, consciousness when you're in there doing anything. So, yeah, that's you know, 100% agreement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think there's it, for a lot of people, this thing is, you know, the next best thing since uh, sliced bread because it's it's it addresses a valid concern. It might be for a lot of places, schools and shop classes. There might be insurance mm-hmm. benefits to getting a tool like this, um, and that's awesome. But for the hobby woodworker, you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're already planning on going in that price range, then it's something you should probably consider. Um, but if you're more of the you know two grand price range and you just want to get your you know your first real cabinet saw and just get a really solid machine that's been around for a long time, you're gonna have a hard mm-hmm. time justifying it. Um, especially considering there's about you know ten or fifteen other ways you could lose a finger in your shop that don't have a saw stop on it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like I said, fingers and thumbs. Don't be dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing replaces common sense. That's for sure. Right. All right. So I got oh, our last cool. email here. Um, Ooh. This is from Jeff. He says, Hello, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Enjoy both of your work individually and collectively. It's a great resource for us rookies. Anyways, as a rookie, I'm trying to choose projects that will best develop some of the fundamentals of woodworking. I want to do projects that hammer, pun intended, in the technique of the mortise and tenon or dovetail joinery. My question is this. What project in your early days do you feel you learned the most from? I imagine your answers could range from learning from monumental mistakes or from woodworking uh, with someone who opened your eyes. Thanks, Jeff. Well, Jeff, I would say that for me personally, I think it's more my experiences with people that have opened my eyes more so than projects. I mean, every project is a good learning experience and certainly some more than others. Uh, I think the ones where I, I would say the ones that I venture off into a world of not having a plan and not exactly even knowing where I'm going to end up with this project and just learning on 
you know, just going for it and seeing what happens. Those are the best learning experiences. But more significantly for me is my experiences with people. Um, working with David Marks was, of course, a, you know, definitely formative in my uh, early years of woodworking. Mm-hmm. And uh, while well, I'm still in my early years of woodworking, but um, I would actually say the most significant change in my woodworking style or, or approach uh, was actually when I worked with um, with my buddy Cody, who is uh, uh, he owns a refinishing shop and a woodworking company here in Phoenix um, called Lopeman Furniture is the name of the, the refinishing place, but he uh, runs Topman Custom Woodworking. So give him a little plug. Would uh, plug to uh, to other woodworkers, which is probably not very helpful. But <laughs> anyway, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, I worked with Cody for a little while at the at the shop, and one of the main things that I learned from him was how to work fast. And the the point was, you know, coming from a hobbyist perspective and making the transition, I did the hardest thing I had to learn was how to get my ass in gear. I mean, you're okay. used to going in the shop kind of meandering around, working at your own pace, get a little done here, a little done there. Sometimes you have an intense Saturday and you get a lot of stuff done. But then when you're in there on Monday morning, when you'd normally be sitting in the lab or uh, sitting in the office, um, and now you're sitting in your shop and all of a sudden it's seven in the morning and you've got to hit you know, high gear, <laughs> all of a sudden the, the approach is a little bit different. So um, I had a little bit of adjustment period trying to get through that and turning into a very productive woodworker, not just skilled and not just, you know, someone who may have had some talent. It goes a lot farther than that when you have to make money from it. So um, what I learned from him, who, you know, a guy who had already been doing this stuff for a while was how to work fast, you know, how to take some shortcuts that don't necessarily sacrifice quality and then how to, uh, how to just get things done. And I think it was more mental than physical. Why I, Mm -hmm. why I couldn't get stuff done. And just in my head, I just thought things should take, weeks and months to do when in fact they should have been taking days, you know? So, um, I would say that was probably my most valuable eye opening sort of experience was, uh, was working in uh, Cody shop. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Actually, I, I agree with everything you're saying and pretty much that that's, that I have a similar thing that it's, you know, obviously I, I'm still doing the, the day job thing and this is really kind of my, I am going in the, in the shop and just kind of tinkering around and everything, uh-huh. but I have noticed that too, that it's, um, I, I really don't have an individual that I can say. I mean, I've always said that you know I, I credit my grandfather as being the one that kind of got my piqued my interest, but that's mainly because that old man would not let me touch anything. And so <laughs> this is like my I've got your tools now. I'm doing what everything I wanted to do that you wouldn't let me. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and when it comes to a project, I'm trying to think. I with every project I've done, it seems like as soon as you as soon as I get done, there's always that you look back and reflect, you know, like, okay, I, I could have done this different. I could have done that different. I should have done it this way. I should have done that. So it's still I really still feel like I'm I am in, in that growing experience. I think so far the the one project that I am like one hundred percent, you know, super satisfied is the one that I did with uh Aiden's dresser. That's the one that I really like I still look at that one and I'm like, I didn't awesome job i mean this is like really really great and for me it was that the you know, i experimented with um uh, I, I actually followed through on all my mortise and tenons, you know, and I did everything I was supposed to do with that um i I actually did hand cut dovetails for all the drawers, and it was like one of those I took my time but still pushed forward without without dragging time basically right so it's like if I could pick a project i I almost want to say. That's the one that really helped push me to that point now where I feel 
I, I feel more confident. I still have a lot of stuff that I want to learn that I know I need to improve. Sure, sure. But you know, that's that's definitely. I think that 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 for me was like my one, you know, stepping stone that I know for a fact that as soon as I hit that, I feel like I was kind of launching forward, and now I feel like I can really. I feel more confident in the things that I'm doing, you know, right. not, not, not to sound like I, I know everything cause I definitely don't. I'm still learning new stuff every single day, Sure, but you know, that's, that's, yeah, I, I think that's, I hope that answers the question. Well, one of, <laughs> one, of, one of the things when I first started woodworking that um, I found helped me advance quicker was by intentionally attempting things that were beyond my skill level. Mm -hmm. um, so I would see a project or, or come up with an idea um, I'd watch woodworks and I'd see some stuff that was like, wow, one day, you know, I'd really like to do that. Um, but what I would do is start to take elements of those things that I saw and incorporate them into my own creations. And by attempting things that were what generally were well beyond my skill level, even if I failed the first time around or had to kind of dumb it down as I went through it to make it something that I feasibly could do, just the process of doing that and forcing myself to get good at it was an excellent, awesome learning experience. So um, did you feel that when you started that dresser project at the beginning, did you f were you intimidated by it? Like where you sort of felt that you had control over those uh, techniques that you were going to have to use? Oh, no, by all means, I was extremely intimidated. The, the only thing I felt comfortable doing was when I was making, like, my rough cuts to it, making the, you know, sizing things to the, the, the rough dimensions. Uh -huh. And once I even, actually, it was fun, kind of funny because like, as I started to put, bring things together and they were still kind of in the rough state, I slowly started getting that, like, not in my stomach. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be trying this next. And, and here goes. Right. Oh God! <laughs> you know, as, I, as I'm going through these things and trying to do them, and then once I would finish, you know, a part of it's like, okay, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but okay, the next time I do it, this is what I need to do, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's still even actually some of the, the stuff I've done with that dresser, you know, when I go to repeat it, if I go to try it with another project, I still kind of get those like butterflies in my stomach. Oh, sure, sure. And, you know, and, and it's kind of funny because there's a few projects that um, I've attempted in the past and actually have looked at for a couple ideas coming up that it's almost like one of those, I see something that I think is, is beyond my level, but I'm like, I know I can do it, you know, and I, I, I have no choice but to push myself forward because I want to become the better woodworker. So. Well, I mean, just about everything is systematic and there's always a way to do it, you know, mm -hmm. so you just have to do some research, ask around and then try it. I mean, you, you'll never learn as fast as when you actually try something, uh, yep. you know, instead of just thinking about it, talking about it, just do it and you'll be amazed at how much faster you could pick these things up. Absolutely. You know, and that's one thing I think with a lot of, of home woodworkers, I, I think there's that intimidation factor. So people assume that, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't know how to do it right now, or I don't have, you know, um, a, uh, a plan that's laid out in front of me, that's exact, and I'm not going to attempt it. And I'm right. like, no, attempt it. You know, I, I just talked the other day about like practice makes perfect. And that, that's so true. You, you have to practice these things if you ever want to step forward. Right. You know, if you, if you really want to move up from whatever it is you're doing to the next thing, you've got to practice this and you can't be intimidated. You, you, you've got to try it. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, well, hopefully yeah, just, people will do that more and more because it's, it's definitely a good way to grow as a woodworker. Absolutely. Just do it, people. Do it, man. Do it. <laughs> well, I think so. we're uh, we're definitely going to try and keep these things under an hour. So yep. I think we probably uh, can head off to our respective things that we usually do on Monday evenings, which is nothing for me. 
Yeah, I'm about to go hit the recliner and go to sleep. So <laughs> oh, that's right. We do have a little bit of a time difference between us. So yeah, I'll get a couple of hours ahead of you. So <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, anyways, though, everybody, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, what have you, uh, by all means, drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com. We love hearing from everybody. We're getting a lot of emails, you know. And again, if we ever get one of those where we have so many emails, you know, we'd probably do one of those rapid fire kind of email things where we'll just throw them out there and just answer as many as we can. Although I hope next time we do a rapid fire we do it a little rapid more rapidly than we did last time because rapid <laughs> we'll, fire was just a lot of questions answered slowly that's true that's we'll, we'll do like a, you know, we'll just cut it right off and we'll pick it up the next time perfect well i guess so, until cool. next time we will uh, catch you later absolutely take care everybody until the next time adios see yas.